the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with the uh, Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have pra- Patrick Ray from the uh, Poseidon Garden Fund uh, out of uh, Denver. And uh, Patrick, welcome aboard today. I know that a few months ago I had uh, the chance to chat with uh, Emily and Morgan, who uh, are based out of San Francisco, but also with uh, Poseidon. Um, it's really interesting to have you on today and to follow on to prior conversations. Well, I'm uh, honored to be here and be speaking with you and be able to follow Emily and Morgan. They are yeah. uh, they're a tough act to follow, but I'm going to do my best. So they've done a they've done a great job uh, trailblazing within the yeah. within the space itself. But you know, you yourself, um, you founded Canopy Boulder uh, prior to uh, working with Poseidon, being one of the managing partners there, our managing director, and um, you've spent actually quite a bit of time uh, investing in. Uh, firms around the industry, I think mostly in the U.S., although some in Canada, like uh, along the way as well. I don't know if you've done much outside of uh, the North American markets, but you've seen a lot change over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I actually started in the industry in 2013, mm-hmm. and um, this was uh, the year before Colorado legalized for adult use. So that mm-hmm. was January 1st, 2014. And I'd been looking at the space uh, probably late summer time in 2013. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, what we realized was that there was um, a lack of in- structured investment vehicles. There were uh, incredible need for ancillary products and services. So I launched a company called Canopy Boulder, mm-hmm. which was a business accelerator focused on the cannabis industry. Um you know, with a couple partners, uh, raised five funds, invested in 115 companies, over 130 direct investments through those funds, and helped launch companies like BDS Analytics, Front Range Biosciences, Work. Um, often we were the first investors um, and mm-hmm. very active partners in these companies' launches. And it's a lot of fun. In January 14, I met Emily and Morgan and Paxia. At an investor conference, and we immediately had a connection and realized that we shared a vision approach for investing in the industry and like wanting to create a good industry, a sustainable industry, one that's going to create long term value. And, um, and so we talked about partnering then, and the timing wasn't right, but uh, about a you know, a little less than a year ago, the timing was right. So here we are partnered up on the new fund, the Garden Fund, yeah, no, and uh. You know what? What particular piece of the philosophy is the shared, you know, the co- point of commonality that brought you together? Because people who are looking to work with you need to understand that if it's a good yeah. fit or not. Yeah, I mean, we're very interested in providing critical uh, services and businesses. There's, you know, we're not we're not chasing, you know, dreamy, you know, businesses. We're very much centered in on what the industry needs now and what will be valuable in the future. So we always say, you know, to have a, realize your vision of the future as an entrepreneur, you got to have a business today. So we like that sort of like, okay, big vision, going to be aggressive, but practically we know what's needed now. We have a roadmap to get there. Um, The other things that we share in terms of that is uh, we're very active. 
Um, we sit on boards. We are mentors to not only our company CEOs, but also to people who are up and coming. You know, we're kind of, you know, uh, lend a helping hand. Um, it's just sort of like in our nature and our personalities for, for different reasons. Um, but, you know, the, the idea and concept of being there when people need you, um, because every, every company and every CEO is going to have like that moment uh, where they're just, you know, in, in need. And it's not, we're not, we don't walk into those situations in a predatory way into like a zero sum game approach. We look at this as like, Hey, we're partners. Um, let's, let's work on this together and figure it out. Yeah. That's a miserable position to be in when you're in a zero sum game. Uh, yeah. Having, having experienced it, it's no fun. Um, <laughs> but mentoring is probably, uh, I think one of the most rewarding parts of participating in the industry or in any industry is, you know, working with others and helping them overcome the challenges they have and giving them insights. And, you know, you don't always have the whole solution, but hopefully you help advise and guide so that they come to that themselves and they take mm -hmm. in a lot of information from a lot of great people to, to build from mm -hmm. and the like. And I can understand that being a big part of your philosophy and mantra. And, you know, from what you were describing and what I looked at uh, from the Poseidon Garden Fund aspect, Patrick, is, you know, you invest in post-seed, but mm -hmm. pre-Series A, if I understand correctly. So you like to be in that sweet spot where the business is developed enough that the revenue stream is identifiable. It may be, is it pre-revenue or is it just barely entering revenue at that point for you? Yeah, well, for a ancillary products and services business, they'll definitely be generating some money, right? You've created an MVP and put that on the market. It's gotten a response. There's there's a demand for it. There, the people want a solution. It's urgent, and they will pay for it, right? So those are a couple of things that we're definitely looking for. So um, so hence the post seed stage with a licensed business, um, single state operators typically. Um, they may have assets and they've acquired licenses and they've got lenders who are helping them build things out and they need capital for operations, um, maybe to you know build out the team uh -huh. or to uh, hatch out their go-to-market, right? Um, the critical things needed uh, to launch and, and maybe they're on the verge of launching. And so that's uh, typically where we'll come in for a business that touches the plant. Right. And you mentioned, um, you know, single state operators. I know that Poseidon's Fund, too, looks at multi-state and verticals uh, more. So, you know, there's obviously differences for the, uh, the entrepreneur who's uh, working with the different funds. The single state focus, why did you choose that path over multi-state? Oh, is well, it the stage true. of the business or is it... Yeah, partially that. I mean, you know, we're investing again uh, post seed, right. Before right. series a, and, you know, I think you got to walk before you run in this industry. So somebody's yeah. coming in saying they're going to be a multi-state operator and they don't have, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a plan to be in the single state first. That's usually a signal in the noise of the business. Right. So that's right. So that's one thing, but, um, you know, the other thing is there's plenty of institutional capital, I think it was like over 2 billion raised in the United States by the top multi-state operators so far this year. Uh -huh. And that is earmarked for consolidation, M&A and activities. So they're looking to acquire single state operators. So as an investor, absolutely, you know, you want to, you don't want to be investing in, you know, for as a venture investor, chasing, you know, bigger returns. 
Um, cause that's the nature of the, the, the type of investing that we're doing, you know, yep. investing in a multi-state operator is not going to get our, our returns. No, I mean, you might get a two X or three X, but you're not going to get a seven X. Mm-hmm. You're not going to achieve a 30% IRR, mm-hmm. um, by investing in multi-state operators. So no. you need to go where they're going and they're going to pay, uh, to, uh, gain access to a new limited license market or to acquire the, you know, top team and their, you know, very well thought out uh, businesses and assets in a um, wide open state market, like maybe a Colorado, right? So it's a very thoughtful approach um, to match our investors' desires for return and our, our promise to them in the cannabis industry. Right. And that's, I mean, that's key. And when you're looking at your, the single state operators, each state, of course, has different requirements as opposed to verticalization. Are there some states that you prefer to invest in over others or because of that, you know, um, you know do you have to be everywhere or do you really look at as each state because of the vagaries of the law, you just have to deal with it as, as it is? You obviously got to take in a lot of information when you're modeling a venture investment in the cannabis industry. I'll be honest with you, not a lot of funds do. Uh Um, There are a lot of fund managers are first time fund managers and they're, they're just like, I'm betting on the industry. And they're like, that sounds like a good deal. I'm in. And I know this because I ran an accelerator and I met a lot of these venture funds and uh, you know, I got to see how they would analyze the deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of how everyone's approaching the industry. And I, I'll be honest with you, whenever I was looking to partner with a new group, uh, Poseidon, whether they knew it or not, they were going to be the ones that I partnered with. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we're taking in all sorts of data and it doesn't matter what state you're in necessarily. It really depends on the terms of the deal yep. and the dynamics of the market, right? So you could go and invest in an operation in California. And it could make sense. You just mm-hmm. got to model to the exit multiples that exist in the market. You know, in Colorado, uh, exit multiples are, you know, one-time sales. Right. And they've been like that for years. Okay. Well, I'm not going to model to no. what the exit multiples are in another state, like maybe Massachusetts um, or, you know, Ohio or Pennsylvania, because they're not the same state. Completely not different. the same market. Yeah, completely uh-huh. different. And a lot of people don't take in that nuance and build it in their mm. models, but they really should uh, sure. because it's going to be a very disappointing uh, exit experience when the multiples aren't what they expected or promised to their investors. Um, yeah, because they use the wrong data on the inputs. Yep, yep. yep. It's always it's always important. It to is. Do that. It's critically important. We have to take a short break, but uh, we're going to be back after the break with uh, Patrick Rea from Poseidon. Uh, Garden Fund. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. 
climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with uh, Patrick Ray from uh, the Poseidon Garden Fund. And Patrick, just before the break, we were talking about the differences from state to state with regards to the investing strategy. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, in uh, Colorado, the expectation might be a 1x, whereas in Massachusetts, of course, it's a lot higher because of where the the market is. Um, Does that make you, uh, you know, I think the Garden Fund is looking for 10 to 20 companies. Are you going to geographically focus on the markets where you're uh, looking at the highest return? Or are you looking at them in terms of the development of the industry and the stage? And it doesn't really matter as long as it's a good business, it's going to get a better than average return anyhow. Yes and yes. <laughs> I know it's a leading question. <laughs> but leading from that, um, yeah. you know, in the states where you've got verticalization, you really are investing in the industry as a whole. I mean, for want of a better term, there are areas where it's included. But in other areas, you know, you don't have the same level of vertical and you have the ability to develop a grow separate from uh, a lab or a brand and retail. And of course, then there's always platforms, software and the like Mm. that help run. Where do you see the, you know, over the next couple of years, the focus as an investor? Is it going to be in platforms? Is it going to be in specific areas of the industry? And what do you think is, you know, as an entrepreneur getting in the space, or looking to expand, where should they be looking for for gains? And that means yeah. it's not necessarily pure cash return. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. So let's break it into two parts. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about businesses that touch the plant and businesses that are ancillary, right? Because they're a little bit of a different dynamic. Yep. The businesses that are ancillary have a lot of experience here. We, you know, again, Canopy Boulder was focused on ancillary. Many of Poseidon's investments are ancillary uh, businesses. Um, a couple of things. Um, one is an ancillary entrepreneur. You need to understand that most businesses are not going to be able to deduct the cost of your, your ancillary service from their uh, revenues when they're calculating taxes because of IRS code 280E. And until that changes, the uh, businesses that touch the plant that are buying ancillary products and services, data, software, tech, media, whatnot, they want to see, and they're going to be more open to uh, pitches uh, for services that directly tie to revenue creation right. or very much clearly generate higher yields or can eliminate expenses and raise the profit levels. It's very financially driven. So you have to have a good business and service that does good things, but it has to have a material impact, not just really incremental, but significant impact on the key metrics of financial metrics of those businesses. Uh-huh. Now there's an area where in the business services and ancillary that I don't see a whole lot of activity, but I do think it's something to like, think about if you're an entrepreneur and it's product technology, right? Uh-huh. So um, this is, I, when I, people ask me about this, I'm like, remember what the first power bar tasted like? This extruded <laughs> mass of like, yep. who knows what? And it was disgusting. I think the, the, the flavor was honey nut. I mean, it doesn't really even sound that good, right? You know. These things were horrible, and but they worked. Um, consumers were interested in them, and they came back and they bought more because they worked. Cannabis mm-hmm. is a very efficacious product. People have a you know a noticeable consumer experience. They want to come back and try them again. But some of the products out there, whether that you know the the processed products, they're they're god awful, 
right? Uh-huh. I mean, they're like chocolate yep. bars that taste like a rock. You know, maybe they're as hard as a rock. You're worried about breaking your tooth and having to go yep. to the dentist, right? The gummies are very inconsistent. You know, one knocks you out and the other one, you don't even know if you, you had one, right? So there's, those are, there's a lot of like improvement that can be made in the consumer experience. And there's a lot of like innovation that's going to be expected by consumers in this market because they're always looking for the preferred alternative to the market standard. Uh-huh. because they're in the cannabis space and cannabis is a preferred alternative to a market standard, whether that's Absolutely. your pharmaceuticals, your alcohol or whatever, whatever it is. So that's on the ancillary side. I think that there's some, pl- there's plenty of opportunities there um, for the businesses that touch the plant. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, there, if you're a real student of the industry, you understand that there's a combination of licenses that yield, um, benefits to the owners, um, not only from investment and exit, but also just from operating. So like combining cultivation and retail, Uh the United States where 50% of sales on average in every state is flour. If you can produce your own flour, there's a lot of margin you can retain uh, by having both retail and cultivation. Uh, Retail's uh, cultivation is also a place where you can uh, you can load in a lot of expenses that go into cost of goods sold and minimize your 280e tax uh, burden. Of course. And then with retail, and I'll wrap up here. I don't go along. No, retail is where the power is. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, the brands may be where the influence and the power is in the future, but it sure ain't where it is now. Yes. Because the retailers, the ones that own the relationship with the consumers, the brands, they have a they have a real hard time connecting directly with consumers, and the retail, you know, that's where the relationship is between consumers, between the consumers and the dispensaries, or the consumers and the bud tenders. Yeah, and there really isn't, you know, there's a lot of brands running around, but there aren't any that are dominant in the space itself. And quite honestly, in most, you know, in most areas, you walk in the dispensary and you're looking for a product that has a certain effect not a brand. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, right. right now, you know, the dispensaries and the MSOs that are partnering with brands, they're just throwing it, it up spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. There's, you know, I, and I would do the same thing if I were, if I were them. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if you're aware of my background. I built a, uh, one of the producers down in Columbia and at uh, large scale, I mean, just over 500,000 square feet of production space. And, you know, our production costs were down around seven cents a gram. Mm -hmm. When the U.S. heads to legalization, imports are going to start. How how do you plan for that as an investor today? Well, you're making an assumption that import will be allowed. And I would ask you, what's the incentive? But imports already allowed from CBD. It's just limited. I I understand that, but like... I think the CBD market has evolved rapidly, probably too 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 quickly, and mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some lessons there. The question is, like, what are the incentives for the U.S. you know for the U.S. cannabis industry and the federal mm-hmm. government to allow import? What mm-hmm. benefit does that create? Is there are there opportunities in this time of more national sort of focus and focus on domestic production mm-hmm. uh, for that to happen? And you could take it even further. In federal legalization, do you foresee interstate commerce? Is there is there incentive for states to allow for interstate commerce when there's already vertical industries created? Um, I can just have a hard I have a hard time imagining state representatives um, voting for that. 
Oh, I know. And I, I, I agree with you are... fundamentally. I think that mm -hmm. there's going to be a bit of a bifurcation in that, and it's going to become more real in terms of medical and adult use or recreational, in that the prescription marketplace might be supplied from anywhere, where the true prescriptions, whereas mm -hmm. the recreational space, it's always going to have the... Uh, and it's, you know, it's, I'm not using the, it's going to be the craft market. It's going to be the brewers, like mm -hmm. the brewers and the beer who, you know, a Sam Adams is a great investment um, as a brand um, for where they were and where they are today. But there's going to be companies like that in the cannabis space and the adult use and recreational who will be well known. Whereas, you know, people go to the pharmacy, they're just looking to fill their prescription and pharmacy yeah. may not be the right place, but it will come. And, and it's very likely those prescriptions, uh, the pure, you know, traditional medical pharmaceutical mm -hmm. are going to be synthetically produced cannabinoids. That's um, also very possible. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm, you know, viewed as a contrarian with this, but I do have experience, a lot of experience with consumer products, mm -hmm. natural products, nutritional products, dietary supplements, and working with pharmaceutical companies. I, for on and off, I work for Bayer as a consultant in their innovation department oh, around yeah. the nutritionals division. So I got to see what, how they approached, reacted, said uh -huh. yes or no, dealt with the risk and the reward of getting into even the supplement industry, which, you know, is, you know, some would argue it's a faith-based industry. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly cannabis is much more efficacious, uh, but with that comes, you know, a bit more oversight and control. So well, I'm very interested to see how uh, federal legalization mm -hmm. occurs and if it, when it does happen. Oh, it, it will be interesting. And uh, let's come back to that after the, this next break. And uh, there's quite a lot to dive into there. Uh, Patrick and uh, Rhea, Rhea oh, fuck, Patrick Ray, I keep doing your, that awful thing to your name. I'm going to give us two second cut for Brasco to go back to it. And when we, we're going to have to cut the break for a minute, but when we come back with uh, Patrick Ray from the uh, Poseidon Garden Fund, uh, we're going to go a bit further into that whole aspect with regards to um, the verticalization, but also how the um, medical and recreational markets are bifurcating in the future. I'll be back in a minute. Richard's Wiki with the Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with Patrick Ray from Poseidon Garden Fund. And Patrick, just before the break, uh, we're talking about a few things and it brought up uh, an earlier conversation that I had um, with a fellow out of the UK. 
and they do distribution across Europe and the UK and Australia. And you know, one of the things that's happened is, in many ways, for want of a better term, the market over there is stalled. Not that there isn't the demand, but you know, the um, the education for doctors and pharmacists has lagged so far behind, and the lack of market studies and proof that they can point to is causing issues. So the first you know, few thousand patients were able to subscribe pretty quickly, but then doctors started getting called out in terms of what's the justification for the uh, prescriptions. And pharmacists aren't sure what to do in terms of giving guidance to their, uh, the patients who come in either. The US is in a different state, um, but those same questions are going to be coming up as the market truly expands, especially as federal legalization comes into play where doctors are, uh, going to be more freely able to write prescriptions. How do you plan for that? Or what do you think is going to happen? Is it going to follow the same European where there's going to be a bit of a, uh, a kneecap from adoption as the market figures itself? Or is it going to just blow th through it because everybody's had more history? Well, I mean, I think I would argue that in the United States, we've had plenty of delays. You know, there's been, you know, look at the state of Massachusetts, mm -hmm. right? They legalized back in, gosh, I remember there was a big sort of announcement back in 2015 or so. Right. And it's taken a number of years for the market to actually open up. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, when they issued licenses in Maryland, that, that was sort of a second coming of like, people didn't get their licenses. So they sued, you know, I, I mean, so there's all these, these delays that's, happen. That's everywhere in the world though, because the Absolutely. legislators passed a law. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. I helped write the law in Peru. And then it took two years to put in place the regulatory framework, even though it was written in, you know, I turned it into the government on the first draft on about four months in and yeah. by about seven months it was done, but it still took yeah. almost two years from that point. That's not so, abnormal. No, no, no. So, so I, so what I'm, I, I think that when we look at Europe, it's sort of like, well, yeah, kind of to be expected, you know, in the States here, um, kind of be, you know, we, we know what's happened. Even in Canada, there's been slower rollouts in certain provinces, right? For certain licenses. Absolutely. So I expect, you know, the same thing to happen in and when we see any sort of federal movement. I mean, you know, even this year, we've been talking about, you know, uh, this uh, the Safe Banking Act. And yep. then there's this maybe this talk about a larger bill for legalization. OK, you know, like and we haven't seen action. It's June. Right. So, yep. you know, I think uh, things can take longer. But when they start to happen, they happen really fast. Yep. Um, certainly when regulations are passed. Uh, they might treat cannabis like it's some sort of nuclear waste or it's kryptonite, right? But yep. over time, you know, we just need to get the first step, the first step of the journey of a thousand miles, right? Yep. And then it's one step in front of the other. The regulations loosen, become more business friendly. The sky didn't fall. There's no zombie apocalypse, right? And so people get more and more comfortable with it, but their default is to treat it um, like it's, it's a very scary thing. Um, oh, yeah. So, no, absolutely. so that causes delays in, you know, just even people in charge of moving things forward and yep. the administrations. These are these are large bureaucracies. Remember, I mean, you know, and, and you know, it, it's going to take time. So as an investor, as an entrepreneur, you got to take that in consider, into consideration and plan for more delays than are kind of uh, maybe overtly communicated or expected or timelines that are. So, so I think, you know, we are going to deal with that uh, in this thousand mile journey that we're on every, yep. every once in a while. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I keep thinking of the, you know, the politicians and, and the legislators and the regulators, and it kind of makes me laugh at the whole perspective where politicians would always say, I never inhaled, whereas everybody dealing with this industry, every time the politician says they're going to deal with it, everybody inhales and waits and pauses and goes blue in the face. Um, yeah. <laughs> <but> <laughs> well, they can remember, say I didn't not, exhale. <laughs> they're not politicians, they're no. politicians, right? Exactly. So they're more likely to be concerned about getting elected and staying elected than necessarily making policy move forward. Unfortunately, yeah, exactly. No, very, very true. Um, you know what? But you know, with that, I know we're running short on time for uh, for the day. And you know, I, for our listeners' sake, um, you know, Poseidon as a whole and yourself with your background have had a a really great track record in terms of the firms you've chosen to participate with and how the portfolio is done. But a somebody who's listening to the show and looking to uh, build their business and expand and grow. You know, you you would like to invest pre-Series A. Mm-hmm. What's the process? Um, how much do you like to participate? Uh, to what extent do you participate in the uh, firms in terms of check amount, but also, you know, is there a percentage that you look for? What's mm-hmm. the process? Yeah, so we have a, a, a mantra of take the meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So we've learned that even if something doesn't look promising or maybe feels like it doesn't fit, in in the uh, in the focus of the fund and its investment mandate, that there, things can generate from it, and yeah, uh, so so we we we're very active in connecting with the industry. We encourage people who are interested in receiving investment from us at that sort of post seed stage initially mm-hmm. to reach out. Now, um, often our first investment's going to be plus minus a half a million dollars. Right. Um, and we have, but we have the ability to do more um, specifically uh, in for companies that do very well in our portfolio after that initial investment, half the fund of, of our fund, which is a $50 million fund is earmarked for follow on rounds. Right. And in, in addition to that, we have historically very active uh, limited partners. So investors in our fund who will invest alongside of us. Mm-hmm. So and that's you know, incredibly important. Yeah. So it's it, it's a it's a I don't I don't, I don't think we, I call us a platform. I don't know if I call us an ecosystem of investors, but we are that. Um, we right. do we we just focus on companies and deals. I don't care. You know, we don't really care what you call it. But I think it's important for entrepreneurs entrepreneurs to know that if you're if you do well, um, you know, we'll be with you, uh, guiding you and in investing. Uh, hopefully to the to the exit, um, whether it's through our fund or you know structures SPVs that we set up for our investors to come in that we'll manage. So we want to be sort of business lifetime partners with you, uh, you know, when you when you join us. Well, you know that's all incredibly important because having the a lifetime partner through the lifetime of the company is uh, is key because there's good mm-hmm. times and bad times and when you have a, the wrong partners and you hit some rough times things can go horribly wrong but if you have a great partner you find ways through it which is phenomenal mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. I think that starts at the first meeting um, you know you said you take like to take every meeting because you never know what you learn and you know to every entrepreneur they should also take a look at it they should take every meeting they can with a w- wise investor because they're going to walk away learning from it whether they get mm-hmm. a check or not Mm-hmm. Yeah, helps improve the business tremendously. Patrick, we are unfortunately out of time for today. This has been a great conversation. 
and uh, I'd like to thank you for joining and uh, sharing some insights. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. It was a real for, pleasure on my side too. Thank you. For Patrick, for people who want to reach out to you and to contact uh, Poseidon, what's the best way? So we have a contact form on our website. It's uh, poseidon.partners. Um, but if you want to reach out to me directly, you know, the best way to do that, honestly, is through LinkedIn. I'm pretty active and responsive. And, um, you know, please do take a look at my background and, you know, Poseidon and, you know, make, you know, if we're a fit, then, uh, yeah, we're absolutely enjoy connecting with entrepreneurs and just people in the industry, right, who are, who are wanting to be involved with, with us and, and what we're doing. So, yeah, well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today, Patrick, and thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky of The Green Peak, and look forward to chatting with you again soon. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.